Now we're going to have our main scripture reading, which dear sister Anne is going to come and bring to us. Um, after she's read that, Nathan will come and bring God's word to us. Thank you. Chapter 3, starting at verse 19. And in the, if you've got a church Bible, it's page 1227. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Somebody asked me that 27 years ago today. And that changed my life. I was brought up with Christian parents. I went to church. That means I'm a Christian, doesn't it? That's what I thought until somebody challenged me. Yeah, okay, are you actually a Christian? And I realized that I wasn't. I knew things. I kind of agreed with some of those things. But I didn't trust in Jesus for my salvation. And I wasn't living for him. And later that day, having been challenged like that, I put my trust in Jesus. That was the... 28th of May, 1996. Now, since that day, you would think I'd easily be able to answer the question by now. Are you a Christian? Well, you say, well, yeah, of course I am. Yes, yes. And yet, and yet, there have been times when I've wondered, am I? Am I really? Now, I'm sure I'm not the only person here who's had times like that, times when you question whether or not you really are one of God's people. For some, that is a really good question to ask. They, they ought to feel unsure because they're not a Christian. Just as if you're driving fast in a car without a seatbelt, you ought to feel unsafe. And that feeling ought to make you pull over and sort it out. Maybe that is you this evening. You're not a Christian. This, this, as we look at this idea of assurance tonight, that would be a helpful thing for you to check and realize that you're not, so you can take action. But for many others, even for real Christians here tonight, assurance is something we struggle with. Assurance, that the word Christians use to talk about knowing for sure that you're saved. If you have assurance, you, you've got a deep sense that you are actually a believer, you are actually saved, you are a true Christian. And our passage this evening is about assurance. And so I hope it's really helpful to all of us, whether that's something that we're currently struggling with or have struggled with or not. I hope it will be really, really helpful for us. We're going to start by looking at the need for assurance, the need of assurance. Assurance is something that we need. Some of us feel that need more than others. 
but for everybody, it is really important. And we see that need here in this passage. So verse 19 sets out what we need assurance of. When it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. He's saying, this is how we know. Wouldn't that be great to absolutely know for sure that you belong to the truth? The truth about Jesus that has come to us, that is something we either belong to that truth or we don't. We've either trusted in that truth and are living in light of that truth or we're not. And he says, this is how we know. This is how we know that we do, that we are. Now, we'll find out how we do in a minute. But can you see, that's the issue here, that issue of assurance. How can I know? How can I know for sure? And then it gets described in a slightly different way as, as the sentence carries on. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's a really interesting image, isn't it? The idea of setting your heart at rest in God's presence. There are some people we just don't feel comfortable with, aren't they? For whatever reason, it's hard to relax about, around that person. Maybe it's because you admire them so much. I, I don't know about you, I, I've met some famous people, and sometimes when you're meeting them, your, your head is so full with, it's him off the telly, that you can't actually think, you can't relax, even if you're like, it's stupid, it's just somebody, not even a big particular fan, but you can't quite get that out of your head, and it's hard to relax around that person. And maybe we can be like that with God. It's hard to relax. How could I possibly be at rest with somebody so great? But more often, I suppose, we aren't at rest in somebody's presence for other reasons. Perhaps you know they have a problem with you or you presume that they have a problem with you. Some of us will go into every interaction we have with people assuming that somebody will not like us or something like that. Or particularly if you've hurt someone, you know you have actually done something wrong. It's hard to be around that person, isn't it? Again, how easy it is to feel that way towards God. How could I possibly be at ease, at rest with a holy God after everything I've done? That's the situation here. Verse 20 talks about times when our hearts condemn us. So our hearts aren't at rest in God's presence because they're too busy condemning us reminding us of all our failings and all our sins, that inner voice nagging and prodding us and being our worst critic. That is a very possible thing to have, that, just that sense of going, my heart is condemning me and I, I just can't feel comfortable before God. And the people John was writing to wouldn't have just had the inner voice making them doubt whether they really were. They had voices of people outside as well saying that to them. Yeah, I'm not sure you are either. We've heard about this over the course of this series about people who had left them and claiming, well, we're leaving you because we are the real Christians. We are the true people of God. We're not so sure about you lot. We're going over here where we are with just our really, truly Christian people. And if there are people saying that, that is going to make you question as well. Am I a Christian? Am I sure? Am I sure that I'm sure that I'm sure? However well established we are, we all need that reassurance from time to time. So how do we get that? How do we get this, this need for assurance? How can we be sure? Well, that's, that's our, our second thing this evening, the grounds of assurance. The grounds of assurance. On what basis? So when John says, this is how we know, well, what? What, what is how we know? And for that, I think we need to look backwards at what he's just said. 
I don't think he's getting us to look forward and say, how do we know? Well, it's if our hearts condemn us. Well, then, no, I'm not sure about that. I think instead it's looking backwards here. So let's read from verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So I think it's saying that the presence of love in our lives is a good grounds for assurance. True love being shown in action is a sign that God's at work within us. True love for one another, shown through genuinely being holy towards one another, encouraging good things among each other, practically serving each other. Those sorts of changes in our lives, that is a really good thing and ought to be a reassuring thing among us. We get a similar idea a bit later on in verse 21 of our passage. It talks about having confidence before God, having this fruitful prayer life because, end of verse 22, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. You say, where does that confidence before God come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we're doing what he's asked us to do. If you've been given some instructions and then 20 minutes later the person in charge walks in, you feel better in their presence when you've actually been doing it, don't you? Than when they walk in and you go, oops. That's just common sense. And there is a sense in which it's like that with God. There is an ease and a confidence which can only come when we know we're living obediently. It's like we heard this morning, following Jesus does mean dealing with our sin, fighting it, chopping it out. That is really important. And so that's one of the grounds for assurance. We should be able to look at that and say, yeah, that is happening in my life. That's, that's a good grounds of assurance. But isn't it our obedience or our lack of obedience why we need assurance? Aren't there times when it's because I'm remembering that I do sin and that I don't love as I ought to? All those things come up. That's when I start to doubt my salvation. How can I possibly look to that for assurance? Well, that's why I think verse 23 is so helpful in our passage. It, it sort of strips everything back and says, okay, basically, what does God want? Having talked about confidence coming from keeping God's commands, he says this, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. That's it in a nutshell. What does God want us to do? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Trusting in Jesus, loving each other. We are not going to do either of those perfectly, but are we doing them? Is that stuff true of us? And if so, we're on the right track. There's an old hymn that we're going to be singing later on, which puts it very, very clearly. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Trusting, that first bit of that bit in verse 23 about to believe in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus. And obedience, that loving one another as he's commanded. Those are good grounds of assurance. And both of them are necessary. Isn't it interesting? It's one command. This is his command to believe in Jesus and to love one another. That's one command. One command. And we need both. If you only look to your obedience 
as the grounds for assurance, you will despair. And I think that's where a lot of our lack of assurance can come from. We're just looking to our lives, and that's it. And we know we don't love enough. We know we don't obey fully every time. We'll never be able to set our hearts at rest in God's presence because we're just too aware of how short we fall. So if we only look to our obedience as the grounds for assurance, we'll never have it. We will never have it. It's because of our disobedience that we need to trust in Jesus. We mustn't trust ourselves. Sometimes when we're looking for assurance by looking at our obedience, that is actually saying, I don't trust Jesus, I trust me. And I look at me and I go, oh dear. Well, that's right that we sometimes look at ourselves and say, oh dear. (laughs) But that's why we trust in Jesus. We need him. This is the command, to believe in the name of his son. It is only by faith in Jesus that we're forgiven, that we're put right with God. That has to be the heart of our grounds for assurance, doesn't it? That has to be. There's no salvation without it, let alone assurance of salvation. Trusting in Jesus is absolutely paramount. But if I could dance dangerously closely to heresy for a minute, if we only look to our faith, we won't have assurance either. Because we will doubt whether or not we really believe it. We'll be going, yeah, but do I really trust? Do I really trust? Well, our obedience then comes in as the evidence of our faith. It's not why we're saved. It's not how we're saved. But it is a sign that we're saved. Very similar to what we were thinking this morning. So as, as grounds for assurance, trust and obey. Believe in Jesus and love one another. What are not good grounds for assurance our feelings. Imagine if you could only know for sure when you felt sure. The reason we need to set our hearts at rest is that our hearts are so prone to make themselves uncomfortable, aren't they? We don't feel at rest. We need something objective for being assured. We need to have something more than just how we happen to feel at that moment which is, I think, what verse 20 is saying, when it says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. So yes, sometimes our hearts condemn us. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. The fact that we feel condemned doesn't really tell us either way whether or not we are. What matters is what God says. Our hearts know things about us that nobody else does. But we're told here, God knows us more. God knows us inside and out. He knows our faith. He knows our love. He knows our doubt and our sin as well. And we can leave that with him. So when it says God is greater than our hearts, it says, well, if our hearts condemn us, that's not the important bit. It could be that our hearts are condemning us and that is a healthy sense of a poke to be saying, look, you are not living right. You are not trusting Jesus. And that is a good and healthy thing. But we also need to remember that God is greater than our hearts. He is, not, he is the higher authority, the final decider. So if we picture a, a court case, there we are, we're in the dock, we're accused of some crime, and the opposition lawyer is our own heart that's pointing the finger at us and condemning us and saying, you have done it again, you are not really a Christian. And this is saying, yeah, but your heart isn't the judge. God is the judge. He's the one who's actually got the power to condemn He's the one who has the, the authority to hear what our heart is accusing us of and say, 
case dismissed. I know the facts. I know everything. And no, that person is not perfect, but they trust in the name of my son, Jesus Christ. And there is evidence of that by the way that they obey, falteringly, yes, but truly. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. That should really bring us some assurance, shouldn't it? That ultimately it isn't down to us and how we feel. It is down to God. And yet that is assuring as well to know that it isn't, oh, well, it's down to God and I can't possibly know. Well, there are things to look for in our lives, our faith in Jesus, our love for other believers, those things which are solid grounds for assurance. Much more briefly, the benefits of assurance, the benefits of it. There are people who think that it's a dangerous thing to have assurance. If I know for a fact that I'm saved, that's going to make me complacent. It must be a sign that I'm proud. But how is it pride to say, I am confident my Father loves me? How is it pride to say, I know that because of Jesus, he forgives my many sins? Now, I think it's absolutely vital, and, and there are real benefits to assurance. As this passage talks about, what a joy to know that we belong to the truth. What a comfort to be able to set our hearts at rest in God's presence. When we come to pray, when we, when we just have a moment of quiet alone, that we, we don't go, oh, this is awkward. Me and God, oh, that's a bit awkward. Instead, no, we'll be at rest with him. Verse 21 and 22, they're a beautiful description of peace with God. It says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. It's not saying that we get what we ask for because we're perfect, we deserve it. But rather, when we have assurance, I think there's a few things going on here. One is that when we have assurance, we will actually ask for things. We'll ask boldly, we'll ask confidently in faith that he'll answer. It ought to be no surprise that he, he lo loves to answer prayers like that, that we ask boldly in faith. And, and we're not obeying as a way of twisting God's arm. We're going to get what we want. Oh, it says here, if I keep your commands, you're definitely going to give me. No, it's not like that. And it's not that God... When he says no sometimes, which he does, oh, well, that must be because of some kind of sin. It's not saying that. But it is saying that there is a link between living right with him and being blessed by him. Just think of, of a parent with their child. When a child is misbehaving and they ask for a treat, do you give it to them? You still love them. You still give them what they need, but it isn't very loving to reward naughtiness, is it? But if they're behaving themselves, well, you might be more open to saying, yes, they are doing what pleases you. They've shown that they can be trusted. And they're probably asking for sensible things as well that you could safely say yes to. And I think there's something similar to that. When we are trusting and obeying God and enjoying that secure, assured relationship with him, there is this sense in which there is this special knowledge that we are doing what God would have us do. We can ask him confidently for those things, knowing that he loves to give good things to his children, particularly when his children are living in obedience. There's another lovely description of that relationship in verse 24. 
The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. It's sometimes uh, called mutual indwelling, the idea that he's indwelling us and we're indwelling him, that completely connected with him. He is in us by his Holy Spirit and we are in him in Jesus. Now that is something that is true for all believers. We are in Christ and we have his Holy Spirit in us. And yet I think here it's saying there is a sense that that is only enjoyed that is only joyed, enjoyed by those with the benefit of assurance. Now, I don't often quote the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, but I think it, it captures something here. And it, 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 there's a, a bit of verse 18 to 22, where it's just putting it in, in different words. And it says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that is taken care of, and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we ask for, because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. It's a really helpful snapshot, isn't it, of an assured relationship with God. Not based solely on the things that we do, but where the things that we do come into it as, as evidence of the faith that we have in Jesus. So if I was to ask you what, what I was asked all that time ago, are you a Christian? I wonder what you would say. And I wonder how you would know how to give an answer to that. We're not going to have a, a discussion time this evening, as we sometimes do, but instead we're going to have uh, a couple of minutes to quietly reflect on these things. There's a couple of, of questions. So the first one I think would be helpful. Do I have assurance? That's a good question to ask yourself. There will be a range of answers here. Some will really struggle with it. Others won't so much. Some perhaps should. I don't know. But that's a good question to be asking ourselves. And to help us think about that, the next couple of questions are about those grounds of assurance. Am I trusting in Jesus? Am I obeying Jesus? Particularly by loving, I think that's the, the big thrust of this passage. Let's be honest with ourselves as we ask that. And then whatever our answers might be, pray. It could be that we need to pray prayers of thanks and enjoying that, that say, actually, I'm at rest before you. I know that I am trusting you. And I am living in obedience. And so maybe that's the kind of prayer you need to be praying. But it might be that there need to be prayers of repentance, of putting your trust in Jesus, and of committing to live for him. We're going to have uh, two minutes or so. where We're just going to sit and, and reflect. That's something you can do if you're online as well as if you're here. Uh, we're going to do that. And then, uh, and then I'm going to pray and hand back over to Tim. So let's have a moment.
there might be that uh, there are some conversations to be had after the service, and that would be a really good thing to do. I'd love to chat with people. I'm sure others would too. But let me pray for us uh, before I hand back to Tim. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you confidently. But sometimes our hearts condemn us. Father, if, if that is because we don't trust in Jesus and we aren't obeying, please would you change us so that we do do that. But for those of us who are trusting and who are seeking to obey, please would you help us to set our hearts at rest. We are sorry for our sin. We trust in Jesus and his death for us to save us. We thank you that you are changing us to obey you more and more. So we pray that you would continue to do that in our lives so that we can continue to enjoy the goodness, sweetness of the, of the fellowship we have with you. That we would be full of well-placed assurance. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.